Advancing and Changing Through the Spirit, a study on the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6 to 7. Get Motivated for the Kingdom of God by Paul Bucknell. This has been produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Releasing God's truth to a new generation. We're going through the series in the book of Acts, Get Motivated for the Kingdom of God. We're going through Acts chapter 6 right through the end of chapter 7. All the way through, though, we're, we're tracing, we're trying to understand, advancing and changing through the Spirit. The many special things that God did during the time of the early church. And you wonder, well, this is the church today, and we look at different church buildings, different congregations, different countries. But we realize it all started here in Acts chapter 1, chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 1, their prayer meeting. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came and infused them. And many became part of that kingdom at that point. And we continue to see the Spirit of God mightily work throughout the world. It is so exciting uh, to see that. That's what's happening here. And you say, well, how does the Spirit of God work? And how does that work out in our own lives? Well, hopefully, as we go through this series, that these things are actually being explained and helping each one of us. We're going through, particularly at this point, a, the proclamation of God's kingdom, looking at different messages that were spoken in the book of Acts. And today we'll be focusing on the person of Stephen. person of Stephen. Let's think a little bit about motivation today. This last week, there was a long line of people, 17, more than 17,000. For Pittsburgh, that's a lot of people. And a long line that took hours to get through so they could hear... A get motivated seminar. A get motivated seminar. Perhaps different things in their life, they feel that point. They want to learn more about how you can find motivation. Find motivation. Now, for some of you, you're just beginning studies or a new year, and you're just so excited. You don't have to look for motivation. And yet, there's some that are, you know, going through and uh, that workplace, that family situation. Uh, particular things that are you're facing in life and feel, wow, I really need motivation. Now, maybe you actually went to that seminar. But can I just say that the world deals with the issue of motivation and many topics, in fact, in a very superficial way. Very superficial way. They're looking at it merely from the perspective of the earth, from things that values that people have now, trying to get riches, trying to get fame, trying to find significance uh, while their time here on earth. They're trying to deal with some of those basic issues. And so there's a long snarl of people in traffic that combine that. Well, to me, when I think about that, an illustration came to my mind. and I, I thought of a, a big building that was on fire. And then the people come along and they take their squirt guns, their hoses, their buckets, and they try to put that fire out, which we can applaud. And this is the way I kind of look at that kind of seminar. But there's something else going on. There's a big fiery dragon with his breath blowing in the other end, totally oblivious to them. Are they going to be successful? No. If you're going to deal with the issues, you have to get down to the foundation of the issue. And when the world looks at issues just merely from the world's perspective, totally ignoring the eternal aspect of things, the spiritual side of things, God in himself then you'll find it's just like these men just throwing a bucket of water on a fire that's being <laughs> produced and enhanced by that 
dragon. Today we hear, I can do it. I'm into self-affirmation. I got these from the newspaper. <laughs> I just have to try a bit harder. But it doesn't quite work that way. As we go through today's message, we want to look at Stephen as a highly motivated person who was facing many difficulties, but his motivation kept him through all those things, persevering on a track that brought great blessing to him and to others. And I want to encourage us as we look about that and think about motivation, how we also can be motivated. You might be going through a time of depression, discouragement, feel like giving up. Well, let's turn to God's word and see what he has to say. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have not left us alone without speaking. We ask that you would speak through your word today in a powerful way to our own lives. I know some of us, Lord, are very excited already. But Lord, if we ever are frustrated or discouraged, we need a plan that goes beyond today. A plan, Lord, that reaches into eternity to take in all the factors that are true to our life. Now do speak to us, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord, from our sins. Bind the evil one and let the truth enter our hearts that we might live in a way that brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So, good question to ask is what drives you as a person? What drives you? What gets you going? What excites you? What makes you focus? What are you focused on? What do you think of? Well, whatever that is, it destines you. In that sense, it shapes where you're going. And it's pretty scary if you think about that, uh, if you're focused all on your studies right now. But, you know, that's just a tunnel that will go into the dust. That's not where you're ending up. Your life is much greater than that. Jesus had a different perspective. Uh, he said from Mark 8, he said, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We can have a lot of things, a lot of goals, and work hard at them and maybe even achieve many of them. But what should our goals be? When we think about our lives, we're thinking about what God's will is for our life. That would be the most significant thing for us. And we'll talk more about that. But many people have not even thought about God's will. And they're just going this way. This is the way they think they should go. Some others would say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm, at least I'm religious. And they might not know about God's will or what he really wants or just be disobeying him. But they at least think that they're better than that person who's just not at all thinking about God. They go to church or, or something, give some money somewhere. But you know what really God wants for each of our lives is his will. His will is supremely best for us. And there's no better way for our lives. Uh, no matter what situation we're in. Now we're thinking about motivation right now and we want to continue to do so. Let me give you kind of a summary sentence for us. When we love God's will, his purpose, then we will open our lives to his power, which has to do with our design, and his promises, the hope that he gives us. Let me read it once more. When we love God's will, his purpose, then we open our lives to his power and his promises. This is what we're trying to focus on today. 
So three things that we'll be focusing on as we go through this actually very long passage, passage in Acts 6 through 7. We will not read all of it. If you have your Bible open, that would be good uh, because I don't have time to read it all. But we're going to look at three parts. Chapter 6, verses 5 and 8, understanding motivation. Part 2, uncompromising motivation. Acts 6, 9 to 15. And thirdly, affirming motivation. Acts 7. Acts 7. So let's first turn to understanding motivation, verses 5 and 8. And the statement found, and I'm reading from the scriptures here, and the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And Stephen, full of grace and power, is performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, all of a sudden, we find in Acts 6, here was this man, Stephen. Before that, we never knew anything about him. We uh, can observe a few things, probably, from his background. First of all, he was a man that was chosen to serve the tables in that congregation. There were some uh, people being neglected, so he would be one of those people in charge of helping make sure that particular group of uh, widows would not be neglected because they were preferring someone else. So he was partly in charge for that. So he was there, that is a church tender and, and faithful there. He was probably a Hellenistic Jew, which, like the ones that he would be trying to help protect and help, he was one that was not raised speaking the Jewish language, Hebrew, or what they spoke then. He, he was brought from, had a lot of Hebrew, I mean, Greek influence. So he would speak Greek, be more modern rather than traditional. So there was that conflict within the early church. But interestingly, we read in verse 8 there, he was also one who did great wonders and signs. So he might be called a deacon, but he was acting as a powerful uh, evangelist, which was doing all sorts of healings, as well as signs which we can suspect that maybe things that Jesus was doing, making people come alive or feeding many th hundreds of people uh, through a little piece of bread. We don't, we don't know what signs. It doesn't even go on and talk to us about what they were. But he was a man that was highly motivated, not just because he was doing these signs and wonders, not just because he wasn't making money from that, but because he was a man that was faithful to God. Notice the two things, uh, statements about him here. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And secondly, a man full of grace and power. A man full of grace and power. These are very significant statements of any person. Not only was he a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk more and about what these are, grace and power, but he was full of them. If you looked at him, wow, the people were just could see God working through that person's life. And because of it, as it read in uh, the following verse, that there many people were being changed. And no doubt that he was one of the key people that God was using at that time for the kingdom of God to go forward. Now, the interesting thing is for you to be motivated. You're not just motivated when things are going well with you. You are motivated through any type of circumstance. You're not just motivated because... Things are going as planned. When things don't go your way, you have your target on there and you're following that. For Stephen, it was this way. We'll find that things are going well with him. 
But early in his life, things were cut off for him. But it didn't hold him back from what God was doing in his life. Now, I'm not trying to say that we're Stephen. Uh, let, let me, in fact, go on and understand, help us understand and think a little bit more about this. There were three things that I was, I'm thinking about that make up good motivation. The right purpose, sufficient power, and enduring promise. Right purpose, sufficient power, and enduring promise. You might think about these three P words. Purpose, power, and promise. Purpose, power, and promise. And they bring about that motivation. The purpose is, are we seeking God's will, the works he has for us? The power. Do we have God's power to do the things he has called us to do? You might have a great goal, but you don't know how to accomplish it. Or promise. Can we wait for him to fulfill the promises at the right time? We want immediate success. We don't get it. You want that kind of gives up. So purpose, power, and promise. Now we're going to just, at this point, I'm going to focus on purpose to help us understand a little bit more. Because you can look at Stephen and say, well, I'm not Stephen. And uh, that was the way God made Stephen. And yet, that is not totally true. I mean, yes, for his purpose. Now, people have all sorts of purposes, good and evil. There are many people out there with evil purposes and goals. And they're ex totally excited about doing evil. To destroy someone to get ahead of the colleague, to uh, lie through their exams, to get, a, you know, get ahead, whatever it might be. They have evil purposes. Some are immoral. But they're really prideful of them. Some are good. Some are good purposes. There's no doubt. They're trying to help people. They're very passionate about helping people. And so in America, for example, there's a lot of charitable organizations. People don't get paid. They're just helping out. Well, it's important to focus on doing your appointed good works. You know, if you take something and you focus on it, this is my goal for my life, making a million by a certain age, or this is, I want to have this type of position, this kind of title, that kind of status. You see someone and say, that's the way I want to be. Uh, or maybe in a spiritual way, I'd like to be like Stephen. Maybe I can't be full of faith. What if I was just half of faith? You know, I'd be happy. Half of the Holy Spirit, you know, and then it's interesting. In the Old Testament, we have uh, Elijah. He did many miracles. You've probably heard of him, right? But Elisha, his disciple, he didn't just ask for half of what Elijah did. Do you remember what he asked for? He asked for double what Elijah had. <laughs> but, you know, what is it that you're, you're focusing on? But I'm trying to encourage you, don't focus on specific things. That will always get you in trouble. That is never where God wants us to purpose ourselves or find our goals in life. Once you put yourself on, I want to be strong, I want to be healthy, I want to be beautiful, I want to have straight teeth, I, I, whatever it might be, you're going to face some troubles. And if your goal, if your objective in life is to reach that, maybe you will reach it and then you'll say, I have nothing left. Or maybe you'll be frustrated and you'd be totally disappointed. I, I, I knew someone, a mother, you know, her child was growing up. And then she got pregnant. And it kind of threw a wrench into all her plans. And she had a good career all planned out. And now what was she going to do? Should I kill this child? 
What, what am I going to do? But what am I, my, my career? She went into a time of depression. Why? You can see why. Her purpose was frustrated. Her purpose was so focused that when she didn't gain it, she lost life. It was all sucked out of her. She had no nothing to live for. Because that career for her was everything. When you make, I mean, it's not wrong for us to want to work. Not wrong for us to do want a lot of good things. Not wrong for us want to grow spiritually. But there's something else that we has to go beyond us. Not these specific things. And I, I say it in a special way here. Appointed good works. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, are you going to, you know going to get the pastor here and he's going to tell you what you should be doing. Yeah. No, no, no. Nothing like that. It's instead that God has appointed you good works to do. Let me read this from Ephesians 2.10. We heard it last week. I, I want to read it again because it's important at this point. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God made you to accomplish a number of good works throughout your life. He has appointed and, and what they are. For us, our goal is not one specific thing. It, it has nothing to do with how people look at us. It has nothing to do with man's approval. Nothing to do with whether I'm rich or poor. It has nothing to do with my status, how many children I have, whether I'm married or not. It's much greater than that. There's the very good things, the opportunities, as I look at it, as for you to accomplish in your life. This is what your life is all about. And if you had 1,000 things, good works, opportunities that God set out for you to do, will you accomplish them? Are you, have you set your heart to accomplish these things that God already appointed for you as a believer? You said, this is where our goal needs to be. Because... In our confidence, God has appointed not only the end, but the means to accomplish them. For Jesus, the same thing. When God told him, do something, now he didn't have any money. How is he going to feed those 5,000? He brings the crippled up to him. How, what am I going to do with this crippled up here? Well, he put away his deity, his divine powers, when he came to earth. He had to look at to God the Father for somehow a miracle, for wisdom, for whatever he needed to face those circumstances. And we are the same as God's children. When God gives us an assignment, he will give us grace. Now we'll tie this back into what the passage we were just reading in a moment. But I'm trying to help you understand the basic foundational work here. And this is why get some, um, motivated seminars don't work on earth. Until you have that heavenly perspective, because this is our goal. And the sense of success, of triumph, of glory that God wants in our life will have to do with how well you accomplish these things. Because if you accomplish a whole lot that people applaud you for, but miss out on these things that God specially and uniquely planned for you, well, there's no applause there. But on the other hand, when we think, He uniquely have devise some special things just he wants to do through me. That means God is with you in a special way to touch your life, to motivate you, to encourage you, to use you in, 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 in sharing his work with you. 
because a lot of these things will have to do with loving someone else. I'm not talking about these great, you know, I will go to the moon for God kind of things. It's sometimes your mother just said something to you and I just can't stand her saying that again. But you just decide patiently love her. I mean, that is a good work, you know, kind of thing. And, and that's what in God's mind. He will set you up in a situation where you will do these things. We are motivated by a lot of things that we never even think of. For example, a, a lot of people get to work on Monday. They don't want to be there. But why are they there? Somehow they were motivated to get there, maybe because of the paycheck. But you see, they're still not doing it in the right way. And so it's not really counted a good work because they have a poor attitude, which affects their relationships with others and their performance. What do they need? Do your good work. What does God have for me? Not just getting here. He wants to use me today to bring a blessing to the people around me, to pray for them, to excel in my work, to my best ability, to his glory. Now, you can't do that on your own. You can't do that on your own. You need God's grace. But the point is, you start here and you say, well, this is impossible. You mean you want me to be like this? Uh, do God's good works? I'm no pastor. I never received special training. That doesn't matter, you see, because God is with you as an individual to make you successful in accomplishing these things. You're unique. You're not just a number. God is specially working with you. And when he's giving you a special design, he's giving you special equipment to accomplish that. And that's where I got down to sufficient power. Power. In other words, the ability to accomplish what God has given you to do. Now, we know typically we depend on our own resources. Typically, how, how can you tell you depending on your own resources when you get frustrated, when you tend to give up, right? When you turn to despair. Oh, I tried writing this and never got clear. And oh, I just. God's way is different. And it, it let me just say, it's designed. And we depend on God's resources. And this is what we're going to find out happened when what Stephen was doing. Now, what he was doing was, yes, special. Now, the purpose for Stephen's life is special. We shouldn't try to be like Stephen. You should just be trying to like you, who you are. You know, Rodney, you're Rodney. You know, Brian, you're Brian. Elizabeth, you're Elizabeth. And it goes on and on. A special us. And so we don't have to be like people, others. But we do need to, in a similar way, depend on God's resources to accomplish what God does have for us. We will never be able to do it in our own power. Now, let's go back to Stephen and think about these verses a little bit. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power. What do they practically mean? First of all, faith. Faith is a trust in God to accomplish what you cannot do. Faith is the ability to be able to trust God for the extra energy, maybe you need energy, some busy mothers. <laughs> Faith is the extra ability to trust God for wisdom, to understand how to handle this relationship. I don't know what to say. They're setting me up. Faith is the ability for patience. Yeah, I don't know how to patiently deal with them. I usually get up angry as, how can I be patient? See, faith is the trust that God will give me what I need. It's that focus on God, which usually is accompanied by prayer. 
in James 1, it talks about if you need wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you liberally if you have faith. So he was full of faith. So he believed what God would give him all that he needed to accomplish what God wanted. And actually, that's the formula for all of us. For all of our ordinary lives, he will give us faith. Uh, let me just give you one a simple... Uh, this is a very simple example. I got a phone call this week. My van was getting an inspection. And it said, well, sorry, to, we have bad news for you. You know, over $1,000. I said, what? Oh, no. And so the next morning, during my quiet time, God just reminded me, because you're my child, you're blessed. And so I was thinking, of course, also about this van. And I said, hold it. I'm blessed. That means that $1,000 plus repair that they still don't know how much is because it might lead to one other thing and another thing. I said, I'm blessed. You mean even with this $1,000 plus repair bill, I'm still blessed. And so at that point, I used my faith and said, Lord, yeah, even though I have this bill, I'm blessed by you. Whatever you bring in my life is all blessing. And however you handle it is up to you. And so I left that time of prayer and reflection upon God's word with faith that God was blessing me even if I had to pay $1,000 more. God on his own, I didn't call up or anything else. I said, well, but, you know, call me along the way. In the end, he called me and said, well, I, we just figured we'd rather um, patch it. We couldn't find a, a replacement thing there. So we figured we'd work on our own. And they brought it down to under $200, about $200. All on their own. I didn't have to do any begging or pleading. And it might not turn out that way for everybody. But the point is not what the result was so much. But it was there as an encouragement, maybe as an illustration for all of us, that I'm still blessed. God's still overseeing all my circumstances, and I need to trust that. Otherwise, I'll be defeated. Satan will enter in my mind. I will be full of doubts. Oh, yeah. And it will affect my day. It will affect my day and how I relate to others. And worry will come in. Faith. It's trust. God takes care of it. I'm blessed. You're blessed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Holy Spirit. Now, we think of Galatians 5.22, but it's God's special presence that lives in every Christian. And when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, it might help us a little bit more understand not only what does God want, those good works, but how he wants them done. Faithfulness, joy, love, patience, these things. He gives us an abundance. And when you miss something, you know, God is there to grant them to us. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace. That undeserved goodness imparted by God into our lives. Probably, this has to do with special anointing in his life to accomplish special deeds. Not the ordinary grace. Probably special grace, maybe to do with his wonders, uh, miracles that he was doing. But maybe not. But the point is, every one of us in our life can gain that grace, that special goodness from God, to be able to accomplish what he wants. It's from him, and therefore when it happens, we say, well, God, you did it. And so we're very thankful. Power, that special unction to carry out God's purposes for which he designed you. Grace speaks about the undeserved aspect of a good thing that God gave you. Power speaks about the actual ability to accomplish it in the end. And that's what Stephen had. 
Now, for each of us, we need God's grace in our lives to help us. You see, we can have a purpose that God gives us, but without the power, the sufficient power to accomplish it, we're going to easily give up. I tried. I couldn't do it. I wanted to do it, but I messed it up again. Are you going to go back and try again by God's grace? Find forgiveness, confess your sin, and then go and do it again? Or are you just going to be, oh, I give up? But notice Stephen was full of these things. And I want to challenge each of you. Just don't have a little of God's grace, a little of his power, a little effect of the spirit of God in your life. Go for full impact. That like Stephen, that we will grow up in Christ. That we will have God working in us to accomplish his good works. Let me go on look at understanding motivation. and Well, just as a summary here. What is your goal in life? What are you thinking of? Are you comparing yourself with others? Do you get frustrated? What about power? Do you depend on God for strength and wisdom? You're right, really happy right now. You're telling everybody about how good things are. But what happens when you can't do it? Are you still motivated? Or at that point, you just become very dejected and give up? Tend to spare. Let's turn to section two, uncompromising motivation. Let me read this, Acts 6, 9 to 15. And this is what happened after the passage we just read. It's reading, we're continuing on. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including some Cyrenians and Alexandrians, some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses, against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders, the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away, brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly, continually, speaks against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. You see, when God is working through your life, you will face opposition, like Stephen. In this case, no doubt that he was a great man, but people rose up and argued with him. That didn't work because he argued was he was the spirit of God and the wisdom of God. But that didn't stop. He couldn't reason with people. Sometimes that happens, you know. You might be able to tell everybody the right way, they totally don't want to listen. Well, in this case, they actually induce men to say, you know, blasphemous words, bad things about Stephen, false things. They put forward false witnesses, which meant actually they were preparing to bring official guilt against Stephen by which they could punish him for something. The false witness means they're in a court, the council, this uh, Sanhedrin here was a court of the highest rulers. And they were getting ready to sentence him. This is what the false witnesses meant. Of course, any false witness in the Hebrew law, they should have been put to death. But here you have the actual rulers bringing forth false witnesses. And you can see where this whole thing is going very quickly. But notice this. Was Stephen, did he turn into despair when he saw how things turned against him? He had his eyes on the good works that God was calling him to. 
he had the extra patience to love those who were enemies toward him. Can you forgive like that? His face was like an angel. I don't know how many people saw angel faces before. I don't know if you ever saw an angel face. But I suppose if we saw someone like this, we would know what angel faces look like. Probably with a halo and a smile and everything. I don't know. But here, the people in the center gym were looking at him and saying, this is it. Now, how do we know this? Well, if you remind me later, if I don't get to it, we probably someone was there. Someone was there that actually saw him. One of his accusers was there who saw Stephen in his defense. One of his very accusers there would later turn back and turn back to God. And probably his testimony is what highlighted this point. Well, this is the promise. We talked about purpose. We talked about power. And this is the third aspect of motivation, promise. Can we wait for him to fulfill his promises at the right time? This is so important. Because God works on an eternal scale. We work on a very time-limited scale. And we want success now. We want everything to go our way now. And if we don't have it go our way, we, what do we do? We point at God and say, He's not loving. Now, do you see what happened? If you don't have hope in the God who does not change, you're going to ha- listen to Satan's temptation and doubt God and how he's dealing with you. When God says he loves you, you think he's like whimsy love like you have? No. His love is going to be persistent. It's not going to change. He'll love you if you get your degree. He'll love you if you don't get your degree. He'll love you if you land that job. He'll love you if you don't get that job. Don't compare yourself to others. Your difficulties are times when you look and see God's special purpose and power. His purpose, special good works of patience, of trust, to live out during that time of waiting. Maybe time of desperation because your money supply is running. The loans are starting to come in, whatever. But it's that hope that somehow God has never changed. You graduated, he was with you, you're just praising God, but now you don't have that job or you just lost your job that you had and the whole world has fallen apart. It doesn't have to fall apart. And this is why you can, your motivation can go beyond the difficult circumstances that you might face in life, that you will face in life at certain times. Because God includes all the difficult things as part of His will by which He trains you, strengthens you, and perfects you to influence others. And this is what happened with Stephen. We can't see it. Stephen will never see how God uses this trial, his early death, to accomplish God's purposes. I mean, for Stephen, who was just so zealous and powerful, the cure for all, right? He's taken away at the end of this trial. Promise looks to the future. The promises enable us to focus on the promise giver rather than the immediate reward. Focus on the reward, the success right now? No. We have no need for despair that leads us to defeat. You don't have to. You don't have to despair. And that's why when the Holy Spirit enters a life, we can be always full of joy always motivated for God 
even when it looks like it's going more, the worst thing for me, even though it's going good for others. The evil one, of course, is seeking for a failure. He'll work through the difficult times to whisper temptation in our ears. You're no good. You're a failure. Doubt God. Give up now, Job's wife said to him. But God purposes success. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 to 5, it says, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. God will allow his people at certain times to go through persecutions and afflictions because we are sharing Christ's suffering. And that way that we will also gain a greater reward. This purposes that God has fully explained in his word. And all of it has to do with success. What size of testing does it take in your life to throw you off course? Okay, you're going along fine now. So how size of a bomb do you need you know, in your life to say, Whoa, you know, what's happening here? And God, what are you doing? You probably know from past experience. The last time you backslid. How come you backslid? You doubted God. You turned away from Him. Why? What is your most vulnerable area? If you lose this, you give up and compromise. What is it? What do you believe about being attacked for your faith? It says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2-3, And that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. It's interesting that the very ones that were being persecuted, very ones that were being afflicted, Paul confidently says, God's faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from all evil. This is the way I understand it. That God will keep our life going as long as we're doing his good works. When our good works finish no more longer purpose to live here on earth. Now for Stephen, this ended early in his life, right after this trial. That was the appointed good works up to that point that Stephen had. And up to that point, God protected him. He could accomplish everything that God appointed him to. He was protected. I'm not, actually don't have time to talk about martyrdom a little bit more. Let me just quickly say, Stephen was martyred The Lord allowed Jesus, his son, to be brutally killed. Suffering for Christ's sake is our honor. And Stephen, the name itself means crowned. It says in Matthew 5, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're blessed if you are persecuted. Jesus believed this. And it never held back his motivation or doubted God and his purpose and his love for him or his presence, or his enabling, when things did not go his way. And we can endure, and we need to endure. It says in the end of chapter 7, you men who are stiff-necked, and this is Stephen himself saying, and uncircumcised and hardened ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit, you were doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, who did not keep the law law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Stephen did not apologetically speak. 
He did not admit wrong. Stephen spoke an apologetic sermon, a formal defense of the accusation. They asked him in Acts 7-1. This is a court scene, I think, of 70, maybe 49, forget. Four, 49 individuals there at the Sanhedrin. Acts 7-1, are these things so? They're asking him to defend himself. What are the accusations? Acts 6-11, we heard him speak blasphemous words. Uh, Acts 6-14, we heard him say this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place. Well, all of chapter 7 is Stephen's answer. <laughs> all of chapter 7. And I can summarize it this way. First of all, Stephen said God was with Abraham. Abraham. Abraham's offspring would be mistreated for 400 years. Though they were blessed of God, they were persecuted. Okay, here Abraham was blessed. But did you notice that God allowed all of Abraham's descendants 400 years in Egypt? And they were mistreated. And yet God, Abraham was blessed. God was with Joseph. Yeah, he was with Joseph. Oh, we always remember Joseph's end. He became second to none, right? And yet it says in Acts 7-9, God was with him. God was with him. He sold into Egypt because of jealousy by the believers there, his brothers. You see, he's indicating to those people that are the rulers at that point. Because they mis well, mistreated Jesus. They mistreated Jesus here. They were jealous of him. He also pointed to Moses. God worked through Moses, but the people would not respond to him. They said, who made you a ruler and judge? They said the same thing to Jesus. You see, God chose Moses to work mightily. No one can deny that. The angels appeared to him to give him the law. And yet, a one greater came. He spoke, and you killed him. You're just like those in the wilderness that God destroyed. Well, they weren't happy with that. But Stephen refused to compromise. And that affirmation in his own life kept going on. A right purpose, a sufficient power, enduring promise, leads to con consistent motivation in life. You don't need to go up and down in your life. Not if you're rooted on the right purpose. God appointed good works for you if you are a believer. If you're not a believer, come to know Jesus. He'll forgive you of your sin. And then you'll find out why he made you. And then you busy yourself in accomplishing those good things. And it has nothing to do with how famous you are. You can do it in your kitchen when you're praying for your neighbor that you think of. You're accomplishing a good work. And when you start thinking about a bad thing, I want to hit that person who said something bad. You don't have to. You can think of God. How do you want me to love them? And totally transform the world. At least the world around you. What purpose are you living for? And you need sufficient power though. In order to enable you to accomplish what God has for you. You need that grace. What power do you live by? You running short lately? Kind of more despairing? Giving up? You don't need to. Learn to let God's spirit just bubble over in you. And he will provide that grace, that power, and that promise. God will work things out right in the end. Okay, in the end. Maybe not here on earth. Maybe you'll lose that job. Maybe you'll have to pay a thousand, more than $1,000 for that. That's okay. It doesn't matter because God's promises are true. 
even if you're persecuted, even if we are persecuted here, we no longer can meet here, it won't stop me from eagerly serving the Lord and telling people about God's love, nor living upright lives. Because it has nothing to do with that. My motivation for life is deeper than these superficial things. When we read on, right after this time when Stephen lost, persecution entered into the church. They were all driven from their homes, much like I've seen in Arissa. Their houses, their churches destroyed by radical Hindu prosecution. That happened just last year in a democratic society. It can happen here. But the test is, why are we living for? There's a greater promise that no one can take from your life. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for your amazing love and grace in Christ. We ask that you would powerfully work within each one of us. Each one of us is a chosen vessel filled with your Holy Spirit, appointed, pre-appointed with good works that you all planned out ahead for us. We ask for that grace, that power to trust you, to open our eyes to be able to be your love agents in this world. Bless us and keep us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This concludes our message on Acts chapter 6 to 7. Get motivated for the kingdom of God by Paul Bucknell. This has been produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net, releasing God's truth to a new generation.